good introduction. It, it clarifies what, what calling an election is for us and, and how we might receive that. Uh, here we were looking at Abraham. I mean, he's been through many trials. And it, Joseph Smith is saying here that Abraham received that specific thing on Mount Moriah, uh, kind of one of those it's not culminating, but because I'm, I'm sure Abraham had many tests and trials even after Moriah, but um, that that was kind of one of the, the last recorded ones that, that we have his, um, uh, his kind of final uh, one. But um, that calling and election is such an important principle as we are seeking to, to come back into God's presence to, to seek exaltation and, and merit the, the full mercy and blessings of uh, the atonement in our lives. Um, anything else that, that you'd like to, to cover from this first section of, of Sarah and her passing? Um, Cameron. Yeah. I thought that Abraham uh, had his calling and election major long before Mount Moriah. Why did I think that? <laughs> <laughs> I thought the same thing too. Um, you know, I think that it it can come in degrees, and that's kind of the the final stamp of approval. Like the obviously, um, you have it now, and and I don't know if Abraham necessarily knew that he had it until Mount Moriah, but he possibly could have had it prior, and, and this was again a something for Abraham's benefit that after this, he well knew that, that his calling and election was made sure. Uh, you know, I, I'm not <laughs> in this uh, uh, scenario and you know, uh, intimately involved with, with Abraham, but uh, you would think that after all of these previous trials, you would know that, well, obviously I, I've seen God and, you know, I'm his, his friend and, and <laughs> we're, we're best buds here, but um for, for Joseph Smith to, to say that this was when he received it is, is a pretty good um, thing to, to concrete it, I guess, because uh, I, I definitely thought through all of these other trials that, that he would have received it much earlier than that. Um, but yeah, even with uh, E. Douglas Clark, he was uh, kind of mentioning uh, that, that same fact that, that it was Mount Moriah when that actually happened. Has anybody read The Triumph of Zion? It seems like um, calling an election comes much prior to Second Comforter and, and those kind of things. Uh, you know, calling an election is, is higher up on, on the list. It occurs much sooner, but um, I don't know. <laughs> when I get it one day, I'll let you know. <laughs> Just kidding. So did the Savior go through these same steps then because he grew was his calling election the um, fast after the 40, day of, 40 days of fasting? Very interesting. I, I've been so focused on Abraham, I haven't branched out to the Savior in this principle. Uh, I, I, I very much like the idea of that, yes. The 40 days of fasting and, and going through that, being taken up and tempted three times, etc. Uh, those are very interesting. I'm going to have to really ponder on those. Okay, tell me that book again that you said. The book again? The book you said about Zion or um, about, oh my goodness. You just said a book before I said that and I started to write it down and then that thought came to me. And the lost. Triumph of Zion. Oh, triumph oh of Zion. <laughs> my brain. <laughs> yeah, Triumph <laughs> of Zion by John Pontius. 
Pontius? Uh huh. Yeah. That's the one I was wanting to go to. And then everybody wanted to go to Isaiah Decoded. And so I jumped on that wagon wagon. And now I'm so glad we did because Isaiah Decoded is really where it's at right now for, for me. Uh, I, helped me steer in the right direction there. But after Isaiah Decoded, we'll, we'll go to the Triumph of Zion, I think. I think it <laughs> leads us different. <laughs> but yes, it, it's a very good book that um, talks about the, the practicality and uh, how to, not how to achieve it, because it's not like some checklist that, that you go through and, and get your calling election. But um, in order to, to really seek the higher blessings and revamp your life and uh, his famous kind of catchphrase from it is to start looking at the scriptures as uh, not necessarily a historical document of ages past, but a mail order catalog of blessings that we can receive if we qualify for them. And so, um, yeah, his his stuff is, is very interesting. Uh, more of a practical approach here that's not like all inclusive or anything, because the, the path to becoming uh, our, our Savior's friend is um, really individual and... Uh, we can only be tutored by the Holy Ghost in that specific process. Um, let's see, where am I at? You know, um, John Pontius has a couple of novels that um, are really, if you wanna just have some really fun reading, they're, they're really fun. Yeah. Angels of Fire and the Fire of the Spirit, I think they're called. Uh -huh. But they, I, I just read both those, and they're just so great. Is there an order for those? Um, I think Fire of the Spirit is first, and then Angels of Fire. And um, they're well worth well worth whatever they cost on Amazon. I, I read one on Kindle and it's cheaper, you know. Oh, you're freezing up. Yeah, I'm just writing down. <laughs> you're writing down that moment of the book and I'm writing down your idea, the 40 days fast and, and everything with, with Christ. <laughs> Sometimes even our discussions go faster than my brain can compute. <laughs> I love it. So Cameron, um, quick question. Are next week are we are we starting on um Isaiah decoded or that's a great question. Um so the game <laughs> plan is is to be off next week. I I miscalculated out my chapters and with E. Douglas Clark coming in, etc. And so, yes, we're, we're doing chapter 11 tonight. And um, chapter 12 will, we might kind of briefly cover it as we start Isaiah Decoded. But uh, as far as next week, it's just watch General Conference. We'll pick up uh, April 11th, I believe it is, with... Um, yeah, April 11th with Isaiah Decoded. So uh, we have one week break and then and go right into um, those things. I mean, if anybody wants to do like a general conference recap next week, I'm, I'm more than happy to, to do that. But as far as uh, Abraham, we're, we're just going to uh, call it at, at chapter 11. <laughs> 
be really cool if you invited everybody to that recap. Yeah, it would be so fun to see everybody's insights and, and things on there. I'm writing that idea down as well. <laughs> um, so yes, <clears throat> we have Sarah, Sarah's summary here, the rest of the board trying to organize my my thoughts and stuff it seems like each week I get crazier and crazier and I can't keep my thoughts together um I really loved on on page uh, 226 227 uh, this idea of eulogies and and why we do those I just had a, a funeral that I attended for my great uncle uh not just yesterday yeah and uh, I already had this this idea of of eulogies from Abraham and Sarah in my mind and I thought that, that was just so poignant as I was going through the funeral, why we do uh, eulogize people and, and remember them and why we do family history work to always remember our fathers, etc. And I, I just love that principle that, um, that Abraham is eulogizing Sarah and helping comfort um, uh, the people that, that come to mourn for her. And then that later on in the chapter, that it's God himself who eulogizes Abraham. I, I don't know. I, I think that there's even more that I'm not wrapping my head around at the moment, but, but the power that's behind eulogies and, and family history work just in general of, of remembering. I remember, um, I think it was Elder Stevenson uh, that quoted from somewhere uh, in a Roots Tech thing that, uh, Everyone deserves to be remembered. Everyone deserves to have their name repeated over and over again so that they are in remembrance. Uh, I'm, I'm going to have to find that quote because it's a lot more poignant than what I just paraphrased. But um, that everyone deserves to have their name repeated over and over. Uh, there's three deaths is, is kind of the, the poem or thought that, that he's quoting. Uh, the first is, is when our spirit leaves our body. The second is when our body is put into the ground. And then the third death that we experience is when our name is spoken for the very last time by anyone here upon the earth. And um, that everyone deserves to have their name repeated over and over again as we uh, proceed to the second coming. I just love that principle, um, always being remembered. And uh, Satan's great counterfeit, uh, <laughs> the the British program that, that started there that that everyone has a right to be forgotten and how they're destroying records and um, that people can petition to, to be forgotten. Uh, I, I, it's, it's such a sad day for family history work when that law got passed and, and we're starting to adopt it here in the United States now. Um, everyone has a right to be remembered and, and repeated over and over again. <clears throat> Any other insights and, and things on, on Sarah's death and burial? Um, I love all of the information of Machpelah, uh, the, the place where she's buried. Why do you think that, that Abraham purchased the ground? I mean, obviously the Lord had already given him everything. Why, what was the, the purpose or what's the symbolism behind Abraham turning around and purchasing at a great price, uh, this burial ground? Any thoughts? 
I think when I was reading this, it was um, so that he didn't feel like he was in debt to anyone that he has paid all his all of his debts, even though it was his own. Was it his own land even or? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was his own land. Um, somebody was. I mean, as far as his own land being as if he's king of, of the whole area, God had already given him it, but it was somebody else's land that, that actually owned it as far as property goes. Um, but it says somewhere here that the guy that owned it would have freely given it. I mean, he very much honored um, Abraham and Sarah, yet um, he, he bought it and, and paid quite the, the, the hefty amount for it. I think it's uh, another tie-in both to um, like the savior uh, being uh, that Joseph of Arimathea is taking care of that that funeral service for Christ and, and the place where where that happens. Uh, it was bought at, at quite a high price. I really liked the part where we are reminded that Sarah could have been queen of all Egypt and had all the riches and yet she stayed totally faithful to Abraham. I just really thought, I would just really like that part where her sac, I mean, I guess it, it was, she knew it wasn't a sacrifice, but she, I mean, she could have had all the worldly wealth and fame that there was at that time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Hey, would you want that? I don't want that. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I don't there there's just so much that comes with that. I just like my simple life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there was a time when I, I thought I I wanted all of that kind of stuff. It, oh yeah. You try to get better and uh, more resources, etc. amass this wealth and stuff, but for, for what? Uh, as, as soon as you start progressing more spiritually, I mean, you do desire those things, but you desire them to bless other people, kind of a thing. Um, whereas, I mean, Abraham, he did desire uh, some of those riches. Like, if I can have more, I can bless more lives. If I can build a big temple, if I can build it in the right place, I can, can do more missionary work. I can be better, do better. Um, but yeah, because throughout this book, we get to know Sarah and her personality and uh, all of these things that, I mean, she could have been offered these things. And um, I mean, she was offered these things and she could have taken them and, and ran with them. Yet, she receives them in the end, just in not the way that they were expecting. And I, I think that that's kind of common throughout all of the Abrahamic tests that they encounter, that they receive the blessings, but they just have to get them in the right way, kind of a thing. You know, with uh, Abraham and Isaac, I mean, they're still getting the blessings, um, but they had to prove their, their, their willingness to comply with God's will um, first and in the proper manner. And you do reach us a maturity where you do realize <laughs> that happiness is not in material wealth. I mean, you do reach that point, and that's that's a wonderful place to be. Mm -hmm. You would rather have the spiritual blessings. 
yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, um, we put to, to rest Sarah and uh, the next section is we're moving on to Katura. Um, in no way, shape or form is Sarah diminished. And, but as we uh, do uh, follow the timeline of Abraham, he is married to a woman named Keturah and uh, says that she's the daughter of a powerful desert monarch. I, I'm, again, love to know that story. That was probably something we should have asked um, E. Douglas when he was on. <clears throat> that he fathered six sons and that he took a, a fourth wife and had more sons, etc., and that he had at least one daughter. I, I found that such an interesting uh, tidbit there. I'd always kind of heard that Abraham had more sons, etc. Didn't know the full extent of it, but I never heard that, that Abraham had had a daughter. I love on the bottom of 228 there um, that both Jewish and Islamic tradition mentioned that Abraham had at least one daughter. Little is said of her, except that Abraham loved her dearly, taught her all that he had learned, and she was the center of Abraham's household. Later, after his passing, she is said to have carried his teachings far and wide. I, I just love that. Like, of course she did. She she loved her her father and and would have uh, broadly proclaimed his. Um, his teachings and, and his way of life so that others could come into Christ as well. Um, I, I just love that. I think that's... Uh, that reminds me of President Monson's daughter, Ann Dibb, right? She used yeah. to say it. Yep, exactly. On 229, I like that part, like of this connection. So at the top, it says, with Latter-day Restoration of the Gospel through the Prophet Joseph Smith came the restoration of the Abrahamic temple truths and ordinances in their purity. And so it had talked about how those are the same signs, including the signs and oaths, ordinances, signs and oaths. At the bottom of 28, it says. Mm -hmm. And then they were restored. And so that makes so much sense in the, in the ceiling room when you hear those. Yeah, prayer in the ceiling room. For sure. Yeah, and then further down on two twenty nine, uh, I love the the expansion of some of these things that are attributed to Abraham. That um, there's a, a tractate on idolatry that our father Abraham uh, wrote uh, purportedly. Um, that contains over 400 chapters. Can you imagine hearing Abraham's perspective on idolatry and traditions of the fathers having experienced it firsthand and, and fighting his whole life against idolatrous ways? Uh, you know, he's passing that on to his uh, posterity saying, hey, look how fast it, it came to my forefathers. Don't let it happen to you kind of a thing. I would love to, to get my hands on that tractate there. Um, uh, mentions a book of Jasher, the Psalm 89, the, the Sefer Yedzira, um, and anyway, just so many different uh, worldly knowledges, uh, mathematics, astronomy, uh, things uh, of that nature. I just want to be tutored by Abraham. That would be just so fun to 
as he's receiving that from the Lord and, and being in his classroom. Uh, I have a hard time even being in, uh, uh, not being in the classroom, that's the wrong word, but, but learning from like great minds like Nibley and, and Truman Madsen. I can only imagine Abraham's vast knowledge and uh, just having a fire hose of, of all of this great information being thrown at us. Even just listening to our prophets, it's, it's a fire hose of, of things. Um, then we have the revelation of Abraham, the Genesis Apocryphon, Apocalypse of Abraham, and then the, the first person book of Abraham. Very much an extensive writer. And how much do we have? This much. <laughs> we're, well, we're the book of Abraham that we have in the Pearl of Great Price is just a small amount of what it was. We only have a small part of it. Exactly. I didn't know that either. Before I didn't. I yeah. Like, oh, we only have a tidbit of what the actual book of Abraham is. Man, the restoration is as it unfolds. We're look at all of the things just as we're reading this book that we have record of other writings that are out there. When we finally get things restored, we're gonna think fire hose. I mean, this stuff is gonna come at us so fast, and and all of the history of the world and and uh, firsthand accounts and documents, etc., of all of this stuff. That, that's going to be amazing. I can't even comprehend the, the extent of, of all of that. Just the layers and just even the simple things you think are simple or not simple at all. Yeah, exactly. Yes. I thought it was interesting that Abraham had sort of an atom on diamond with his posterity like Adam did he did he actually call them together and teach them uh-huh yeah it seems that that was a pattern with the ancient patriarchs uh Adam Seth um we have Noah that, that does the the same thing it it's interesting <laughs> yeah it um and then we have it with Abraham Isaac and Jacob that they call together their posterity at the end of their lives and, um, and bestow these blessings, etc. Uh, very interesting patterns. And it's all within the patriarchal order of the priesthood. It seems like that's one of the uh, right or rituals that, that they do is, is gather together that, uh, that last patriarchal blessing, uh, as it were, which is interesting in and of itself that we have patriarchal blessings in our day, but they're given by um, patri patriarchs of the Melchizedek order. And we have our patriarchal orders that we enter into at the ceiling altars in the temple. And so we are in charge of giving patriarchal blessings for our own families, yet we go to somebody of the, the Melchizedek order that is a patriarch and receive our official that we have uh, patriarchal blessings from them but um very interesting patterns etc i remember when we were studying our old curriculum in elders and relief society i, I it was either benson or kimball and i can't remember which one because i'm a young pup and i <laughs> i don't know the difference between all of my prophets very well but uh, it seems like it was benson 
that uh, he did the same thing. He called together his posterity and, and bestowed uh, his, his final blessings on them before he died. Uh, and I, I remember reading that the first time and I was like, man, I want my family reunions to be like that. That would be awesome. <laughs> Go uh, and, and receive those, those great pronouncements from, from our, the heads of our families and stuff. Because, yeah, I mean, our family reunions are fun and all, but uh, to be spiritually minded, to, to know that you prepare spiritually for family reunions and that you're going there to receive blessings, communication from the Lord uh, is a totally new concept and paradigm that I hadn't thought of prior to that. And ever since I read that, I, I just yearn for that. I, I, I want to, good family reunions to, to be these after the patriarchal order here. Well, I have heard it said that we under an administrative priesthood that we're not living the patriarchal order. Mm -hmm. As a church, no. Is that true? We just but, live under a, an administrative. Uh -huh, yes, under the Melchizedek priesthood that, that we have as a church organization, it's a, an administrative priesthood, yes. Um, but as soon as you get married at the altars in the temple, you enter into the patriarchal order and you are now creating a, uh, a body in and of itself um, that is passing on those blessings of the other order. And we, we have different apostles, and we talked about this last week with E. Douglas Clark, that um, in the eternities, there is no um, prophet and, and the administrative order. It's all of the priesthood is, is patriarchal. It's, it's in families. And as we uh, propagate our own worlds and um, move forward, it, it's not after this it's not like the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It's the Church of the Firstborn, which is all patriarchal. Exactly. Fun. It, it, it's just a whole new paradigm. When I, I first learned that, I was like, oh, oh, it all makes sense now. But why don't we teach this wildly and openly, you know? Let's see. Because it's the greater law, Cameron, that you have to find out for yourself. No, I used to get really frustrated, process. but now I, I'm okay with it. <laughs> yeah, the prophets will never talk about this over the pulpit. This is something you have to find out for yourself. I hope. Yep. yep. Those hidden mysteries that we have to be studying the scriptures and connecting with the Lord to understand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then as soon as you start, uh, like we're experiencing, that it, it really starts coming at you, right? As soon as you're ready to come to the Lord, He's ready to come to you and just give it to you as you. Yep. Yeah. It. You know, like the, the prodigal son parable, even even the feast uh, of, of the wedding that the, the ten virgins are going to, it's very much the, oh, the milk is, is as you're wandering, as you're doing your own thing, being prodigal almost, but as soon as you're ready to come in, 
be ready because you're going to get a lot of meat like you're it's going to be fed to you in abundance like go kill the fatted calf that's the the symbolism there to yeah we're we're gonna eat the meat now uh, something that you have to chew on something that uh is going to uh enrich and and build spiritual muscle kind of a thing let's see um so um can I read can I read a scripture? Yeah, for sure. This is from Alma 12, verse 9. And I don't have a very good connection. So can you hear me? Yep, we can hear you. And now Alma began to expound these things unto him, saying, It is given unto many to know the mysteries of God. Nevertheless, they are laid under a strict command that they shall not impart only according to the portion of his word, which he doth grant unto the children of men, according to the heed and diligence which given. And that he that will harden the same receiveth the lesser portion of the word. And he that will not harden his heart, to him is given the greater portion of the word until it is given unto him to know the mysteries of God, until he know them in full. So what he's saying there is that if you have a hard heart and you're just willing to do the milk stuff, you're receiving the lesser portion of the word. If you want the greater portion, you can have it. All you have to do is ask for it and believe, rend the veil of unbelief. That's all right there, all of it. That's so beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, oh, wow. for sure. I love it. How many times <laughs> have we read that? Like hundreds, right? <laughs> yes. yeah. All of the stuff is right under our noses, and it's just about actually taking some time and, and thinking about stuff. But yeah, how many times have we read that in Alma and just passed over well, it? How do you shake the youth and say, yeah, you've heard this a hundred times, but you just need to go to the next layer. Just like open your mind and you'll see more and you'll want to learn more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You already know this stuff. You already got the primary answers, the secondary answers, but there's more. Let's just, let's go over that little, little hump and we'll get there. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, I was talking with uh, one of our youth consultants last week. Uh, I, uh, family history consultant in our award. And, um, I was asking her, uh, so how do you hear the spirit in family history work? And she was telling me, and I was like, okay, so how do you distinguish that voice from the voice of your ancestors when they're helping you with family history work? How do you distinguish and, and, and do that? And she's like, what? Oh, and I was like, yeah, there, there's, two, there's many different voices that we're hearing. How do you distinguish between the spirit and an actual ministering angel that's helping you in something else and and it opened her paradigm and she's been like studying that and and really going to town on uh, she just needed to know the servant more and now she's going and, and finding it kind of thing and she's like oh man there's scriptures about this that that people help in family history work on the other side of the veil etc and this and that and i was like yeah yeah exciting huh <laughs> and so sometimes it is kind of being prompted by the spirit, knowing that somebody's ready for more, and then uh, giving them a little nudge, like, hey, that, that has a deeper meaning. How about you go look at it? Like with this video that President Nelson just put out, like, 
he he's talking about his panoramic vision, the kind of thing, and and, and we we just take it as a face value, kind of a good story, kind of thing, a, a good uplifting message. But no, he's he's telling us about one of the times that he was taken up on high, and and, and seen a grand vision. His whole life flashed before his eyes, kind of a thing. There's more there to that video if you'll get it. Did you happen to listen to those uh, that podcast that David sent out? Oh yes. Mm -hmm. Did you listen to all of them about how to visualize and? Uh, yes, like, I I do have some. Uh, I don't know. It's probably not the time or place to go into it. I I love about eighty <laughs> percent. I have some issues with with some of the the stuff from that uh, that author Chris, but um, yeah, very. I, when I finally started visualizing some of these things, uh, it, it really is important in our efforts to seek Christ. If we're never visualizing him, if we're never uh, approaching him in that way, that, I, I don't know, it, it opens your mind in prayer. It, it helps you to start talking on a deeper level and, and things. I, I just love that principle. Uh, I'm very grateful to, uh, to his blog and um, opening my eyes to the, the process of opening your eyes, visualizing. I, I right. It reminded me that scripture of um, like in the scriptures, like if yeah. you put yourself into that, and that maybe that's what that verse means, like in the, you know, to like in the scriptures. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So like even, even reading this Abraham chapter again today, I just tried to put myself in it, like part of it. And it, it came more to life than just reading words on the page. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like with Sarah's burial, I think that that's why I can never get through this chapter is because like I'm there and I just, I just weep for her, <laughs> even though I know she's in a good place and stuff, but it's just like this closing of a chapter and I'm like, I'm just there. I can, I can hear, I can smell, I can sense and, and everything as I'm uh, experiencing it right along with the family. It's, it's crazy. So we need to talk about this part where um, Abraham dies. Oh my heck. Mm -hmm. Isn't that one of the, the sweetest little stories there uh, of him and Jacob there on page 233? I, <laughs> again, I, I just get over Sarah's death and I kind of have a break with Keturah and then I'm bawling again <laughs> as uh, Abraham and, and Jacob have their little um, experience. I, it's just so touching. I, I love this. <clears throat> Let's see where to kind of start on that. So calling his grandson Jacob, I'm on the very bottom of 232. Uh, calling his grandson Jacob, the chosen patriarchal heir with the mandate to us and authority to establish Zion over all the earth. Abraham then pronounced his final blessing. And can you imagine, like put yourself in Jacob's position as he's receiving these blessings. This is amazing. Abraham invoking the blessings of heaven upon Jacob and his seed forever and urging Jacob to keep the commandments of your father Abraham. Young Jacob was tired and the two lay together on one bed and Jacob slept in the bosom of Abraham who kissed him seven times. There's a number seven. <laughs> yep. And his heart rejoiced over him. And while Jacob yet slept, Abraham blessed him with all his heart, asking the Lord that thy grace and thy mercy be upon him and upon his seed. 
and may thine eyes be opened unto him and upon his seed, that thou mayest preserve him, bless him, and sanctify him as a nation for thine inheritance, and bless him with all thy blessings, and renew thy covenant and thy grace with him and with his seed unto all the generations of the earth. Like <laughs> here, he's pronouncing the blessings on him. Jacob falls asleep and he just pours his heart out over him. Like, oh, I just can't even imagine the, the actual power of love that is poured out upon Jacob in, in this moment and what that did for him and his posterity. Us, this prayer right here is blessing us. Just amazing. I, I don't even have words for it. Let's see. Uh, and then that little pull quote there um, where uh, Jacob wakes up and, and goes and fetches the rest of the family. There's very much, there's very much, there's a lot of symbolism here. We see like the number seven, we see a lamp in Jacob's hand as, as he does it. We're, we're seeing the multiplication of blessings, uh, face and feet, lots of different uh, imageries and stuff. I have yet to, to go through this and study it out like chiastically and, and really plugging in some of those metaphors and stuff. I, I'm sure it's there. It's just I'm having a hard time mourning it first, <laughs> and then, then I'll then I'll get to really studying it fully. But it's just such a uh, unique, fun tidbit that that I never would have had about Abraham any other way than reading this book. I, I love it. And then moving on to the next page that. But his greatest eulogy was pronounced sometime later by God himself, who, when he appeared to Isaac, renewed his promises once made to Abraham, thereby making Isaac and his posterity instruments to bless the world. I just, what would it be like in Isaac's shoes at that point? Having gone through the, the great sacrifice there on Mount Moriah and, uh, having Sarah and Abraham pass, and then having God then come again and, and talk about the greatness of your father, how because of his work that you have the blessings established, that, that you grew up with this. You didn't have to go through some of the things that your father Abraham had to go through. Like, that, that's just so fun to to know that Isaac was was equally as blessed and, and visionary as was Abraham. But I guess that's what I'm trying to, to say in a longabout way. And then uh, that we have this, this resurrection of Abraham, um, that, that Abraham is now um, entered into exaltation according to the promises where they sit upon thrones and are not angels, but are gods. As we dive in and study Isaiah's ladder and uh, through Isaiah decoded in this, this next semester that um, I now kind of more understand what that means, that to enter into an exaltation, no longer angels or seraphs, but are gods, meaning that, that they were seraphs at, before they had died, 
but but now they have ascended to to even the next level as they're moving up found that very interesting so i'm a little bit upset <laughs> that abraham was not translated and he had to be in the spirit world until jesus was resurrected what is that about <laughs> i i have the exact same reservations i i i don't know this is this is my take on it not gospel whatever but i i think that he was translated i i think that um there are many different missions within translation uh four that i've kind of categorize them out into but again i'm not any kind of gospel scholar but it seems that um abraham joseph smith uh, christ himself they were all translated beings prior to their uh their voluntary laying down their life uh, interesting to note one part that we haven't talked about here is that he receives that final visitor um on page 231 as do all of the others. Um, in in this, this path of translation, this is my personal opinion, um, when you choose to be translated and either lay your life down as a martyr or choose to lay your life down in, in service of your God kind of a thing, that um, you, you get a special visitor that grants one last vision and that vision bestows upon that that translated blessing. I, that's my own personal thing. But um, let, let's just kind of go over this this visitor here. What does this angel do for Abraham? I, I love that. Um, let's see. He announced that he was from the great city. Comes to apprise Abraham of his impending death. So who is this messenger from the great city? As we are looking through through the rest of this book, it's either Enoch or it's Melchizedek, uh, but but good odds that, that we're looking at Enoch here, the angel of the presence, uh, coming from, from the good city. And uh, the angel, one of the three who decades earlier had visited Abraham to announce the birth of Isaac. So that uh, is a good candidate for Melchizedek, again, right there. Um, but anyway, it, it was this angel that had made an appearance previously in Abraham's life, whoever that is, that um, uh, instructs and grants Abraham a last request. And um, before in some of our homework assignments, if, if you remember that um, to, to study out those that have been translated and it, they're always given the desires of their hearts. That's part of getting your calling and election made sure. There's, there's a, a moment where you can actually request a blessing and then um, receive whichever path that, that you're you're desiring to go down kind of a thing and it seems like that is what uh, this this angel is bestowing upon him at, at this point um, but that uh, that last sentence there Abraham now wishes to assess what remains to be done I think it is very telling there um, let me up uh, I got a quick little thing. I'll be right back. <laughs> Sorry for the interruption.
So while we're waiting, um, that is the first time I have heard that Joseph Smith was a translated being. Where did I miss that? Where did you, you know, Laura? <laughs> I don't know. I didn't hear that we said that he was a translated being. Did we say that? Yeah, yeah, Cameron said that Joseph Smith was a translated being. And he is supposed to come back and perform a further mission. Is that right, Darlene? Yes. Yes, he's he'll he will come back. He's part of the rest of the trans uh, the restoration. He has keys for seems like he has keys for the returning of the lost tribes. I think it as that's his mission here at the last. Um, but it seems like also well I I, I know this I've well, let's see where did I hear this at though? I that's why I'm hesitating saying it. I'm gonna say it but I I heard that um Uh, Russell and Ballard in one of his conference talks talked about and, and said Joseph and Hiram were both translated. But I have never looked that up to see if that's right. You know, uh, somebody in one of the things I was listening to said that, but I can't remember where it was. Well, in the book, Visions of Glory, for what it's worth. <laughs> um, he does come back. Joseph does come back. So. He what? I just had never. What did it say in the. I just had never put two and two together on that. What did it say in. In Visions of Glory. I don't have a very good connection. Sorry. Uh-huh. And what did it say there? It said that, that Joseph Smith does it, it says he does come back and that he has work to perform. Yeah. Um yeah. So Cameron, we're debating this thing about um Joseph Smith is to come back later and I said I think that doesn't he have the keys to the uh, returning of the lost tribes yes yeah he's the one that has the keys they they are like Joseph Smith passed on lots of the keys to the brethren but but not that one that one is one that he still holds and also um in my memory I'm Somebody mentioned in something that we I was listening to that uh, they said that um, Russell M. Ballard had said in a conference talk that Joseph and Hiram uh, were translated. Am I? Can you remember that? Or 
Where are you getting yeah, that? I, I've seen two or three different things that, that say that Joseph Smith was translated. And if you look at the last charge meeting, like they said that he was translated at that point as well. And the last he translated if which which last meeting? The last charge meeting. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. that, that he's bestowing upon them all those things and and he's doing so as a translated being, as a seraph. Um, yeah, that's right. But yet he chooses to lay down his life, and uh, he didn't have to, but if he wanted to go as a martyr and seal his works with his blood, that that's one of the requirements of doing so, and mm -hmm. that can only be accomplished by translated beings, i.e. the Savior. What is the last charge meeting? I, I don't know what that is. You know it better than I do, Mom. Go for it. <laughs> Well, um, it happened in either March or April, and he called all of his, um, the brethren together. Um, he knew he was going to die. Um, he was told in, in the jail, Liberty Jail, that uh, he had five years left, and that was coming up. And anyway, he knew he had to get these keys to the brethren and he need, knew he had to train them and get them ready. And um, it was quite the meeting. I've got a, some notes on it. I could get out. Um, yeah, sure. Why was it so difficult for... Um some of the saints to accept Brigham Young as a prophet. Hence the RDL RL R, R, what is that? R, RLDS. Actually, the missionaries are teaching a sister that grew up in that religion. She's having a really hard time accepting the prophets right now because she thinks that um, it should have gone in Joseph's line and not to Brigham. Um, so would this meeting like explain that? Did that that key go to Brigham at that time? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He gives those keys to, to Brigham at that time. Like, I totally need to know about this because this is what's holding his sister up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, let me let me grab that. I know where my notes are. Um, it'll just take me a minute. But you can send uh, it to me later. It's okay, you don't have to do it right now. You can send it to me. But yeah, anyway, we're wrapping up our time together here, so you'll we can get that in between classes and then and then send it out. For sure. Yeah, yeah, that'd be good. And even they brought in the the their wives and and different. Um, I think some ceilings and stuff were taking place at that time too. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, uh, that was the. It's called the last charge. He's just given them all the instructions. And and he said that at the end of it, he kind of did a little dance because he just was so happy to have that done and have that instruction done so that he knew that that was taken care of. And then he was free to, to you know, leave without... We, you know, the church was taken care of. Yes. And then after that, if you look at many pioneer journals, it says people couldn't really keep track of him. 
that he seemed to just kind of appear and go wherever he wanted to and, and nobody knew where he was at any given time he was just seemed like he got a lot done but they never knew what kind of thing like it sounds like he was translating <laughs> that'd be good he could get away from the mobs easier too huh yeah he, could. And he, he went like a lamb to the slaughter just as our savior did kind of thing anyway I, that's all <laughs> thank you so much <laughs> so do you cameron do you think that most of our modern martyrs have martyrs, translated yes. prior a, a thing of martyrdom is that you have to be on the seraph level that's my opinion obviously but I think that you have to be on the seraph level translated in order to become a martyr. And it has to be a purpose. Like you have to be like sealing your testimony with your blood or, or doing some great work that involves scripture, etc. cetera. Uh, you know, many of our early ones like Isaiah, etc. those ones laid down their lives as they were on the seraph level uh, to, to do that. I, I think Abraham had a different process of translation. We know that he didn't uh, lay it down as a martyr or anything. He died of old age, but um, many of our early pioneers were were translated beings, and yet they were interred in the ground, only to to be translated and, and complete their work. I don't know. Interesting. Thank you so much. Yeah, but <laughs> I wish I had better. Think. I mean, we are. <laughs> I'm kind of batting around there at the end, but um, yeah, that was perfect. Anyway, yeah, so that, that finishes up Abraham. I, I hope someday we'll we'll kind of maybe do a, a quick uh reunion or whatever and, and kind of have a discussion on it again as we we go through Isaiah and maybe Triumph of Zion, kind of come back and revisit Abraham for a class time or something, and just kind of oh man, and we even more that we've learned and and, and stuff, but. I find that the more I go through Abraham and, and study and, and let God prevail in my life, that it really does richly bless and, and keep me on the covenant path and keep studying the, the deeper things, the, the things that are most important as we go through Isaiah's ladder, that Abraham's really the catalyst for, for people to ascend as we're we're taking these blessings, applying them into our lives, and uh, reaching up, grabbing the, the hand, the helping hand of those that are above us, and extending the hand below in order to, to lift and, and raise. Uh, I think that, that Abraham's just such a, an important While pattern. we go through the tests and trials, don't forget that part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All of that stuff, you know. <laughs> But yeah, that, that whole process of humiliation before exaltation, we, we have to, to dip and dive before we can, can raise higher. It, it's, it's that springboard that, that propels us uh, upward. Anyway, it, it, it's a fun time of the restoration. With this, this new um, initiative that they're doing, the Starting Today initiative, hashtag Starting Today, um, there, there's lots of stuff in there that, that has deeper meanings as you share it and widely there it'll it'll be read on a very simple level for, for those that are barely finding the church etc but as you go through it you'll, you'll start to find more and more how it's leading us to our next steps in in our higher learnings and, and preparing uh, to become the the lord's elect in whatever ways that that, that 
happens for each of us individually. Um, but it's about to start coming fast. I mean, it's already coming fast. Is that what, it's about is that what the tribulations fast. are? Is the dive, the tribulations are the dive? That's our test? Yeah, the dive in order to exalt. Yep. And, and you see that that COVID didn't, uh, it's kind of a preparatory thing, but it, it didn't um, affect everyone the same way. And, and we see that as we'll study Isaiah decoded and um, kind of see the patterns throughout our, our tests and tribulations as a world versus a church versus individually and as families. Um, it's kind of the Melchizedek order, Levitical order, and patriarchal order. It affects them in different ways as we're humiliating at different rates in order to ascend um, to our, our true stations. Anyway, it's a fun time to be alive, right? <laughs> it's a time, to, great time to be a part of the church and, and receive these these blessings. Well, thank anyway, you. Yeah, for sure. It's been so fun studying uh, Abraham with you. Uh, I wish you all the best, and, and we'll see you after conference uh, in, in two weeks. Uh, well, obviously, we, we're going to have that conference get together after. That would be really fun. Yeah, if, if we do that next week, that that would be awesome to to jump on and study conference together and just any insights and things that you got but yeah i'll, I'll let you know I'll, I'll send that out and email it for if we're doing that and what time like for for you guys what time would be best just the same time yeah the same time is best for me eight o'clock otherwise it gets too late here mm -hmm. gotcha yeah yeah we'll try to, to do that and if anybody's interested we can can hop on there anyway all right we'll see you have a great conference <laughs> thanks good night, good night.